Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Mac Dryden started out as a newspaper reporter and went on to become a professional comedian. But the various traumas he's encountered on life's journey led him to becoming a unique and very entertaining motivational speaker. Originally from Mississippi, Mac has found himself twice in the position where he's had to find the strength to fight against and win the battle against the Big C, as well as having found himself encountering a harrowing stay in an African prison. He was once asked by a friend to relay these experiences to a group of graduate students, which he did with such wit and humour in the way of a true storyteller that he found himself being asked to speak in front of more and more groups. He now shares his story with audiences all over the world where he aims to inspire and entertain people with his family-friendly, moving and funny public speaking. He is a... I'd like to say a good friend, but we certainly worked together before and I followed his career with great interest. So it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast today, Mac Dryden. Mac, welcome. Thank you so much, Sandro. Always a pleasure. And having this conversation across the pond, it's remarkable, isn't it, what technology does for us these days. Um, so we don't have very long, but I'd love to coax out of you uh, a fascinating insight into a wonderful, wonderful human being, if you don't mind me saying. So, so Matt, you started out as a newspaper reporter. What was it that, <laughs> that, that took you on that journey to becoming a comedian? Or are the two things actually inextricably linked? No, actually, kind of. Uh, I grew up in a small town, a paper mill town in Mississippi, and I had no idea that one could be a comedian, actually, and be from a small town. Everybody that I had seen on television were from New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. And there were, of course, there wasn't a comedy club within 500 miles, a thousand miles of where I was. So it wasn't a possibility. The only thing I knew back then was that I wanted to write, and I actually had a, a degree, a double major in uh, English and journalism, and I got uh, creative writing uh, masters, And uh, but I didn't know where I was going to go with it, but to make money, I had to do something, so I became a newspaper reporter. I was, I was trained in it, and uh, wow, it was, a, it was a wonderful learning experience because you are out there on the front lines experiencing all the things that happened from wrecks and corruption to, uh, Lord, I, I actually saw uh, the police shoot a man to death one time in a kidnapping situation. So it was, it was um, quite a, quite a, a, a character building, I suppose, and uh, I kind of grew up. Um, and then I got to where, I don't know, I, I interviewed a lot of people who were doing things and I just said, you know what? I want somebody, I want to do something that makes somebody else want to interview me. <laughs> uh, because this is, uh, you know, I'm just reporting what other people are doing. Um, so uh, I went, for one thing, I, this was after my uh, trip 
to uh, Europe and North Africa that was kind of fateful. Uh, and I had come back home and, and done that. But I just saw a, a story come across the Associated Press line one day talking about Key West, Florida, and how funky it was and how creative people were drawn to it and all that. And I just made kind of a spur-of-the-moment decision that uh, I I gave my notice and I took off for Key West. And uh, it was a good decision because I, I really had to work hard. I was a freelancer. I, I wrote for little magazines down there. I, I'm an illustrator. I drew cartoons, um, advertising stuff. And uh, I, I struggled, of course, because freelancers have to work. Ne- freelancers are never off. People say, oh, you can just lay around. Well, not if you want to eat. <laughs> and uh, I had to uh, I had to work very hard, but I learned a lot about self-sufficiency and how to make it doing that as well. And um, and then I got into theater. I had wanted to try some acting. And I uh, this was when Saturday Night Live uh, was really in its heyday over here. Uh, you even I don't I don't know if you if Saturday Night Live is even seen in the UK. It but is it was a huge. It is okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was the first time in recorded history when people stayed home on Saturday night to watch television. You know, it was a very big deal. And I kept, I was watching it and I said, you know what? I, I can write that stuff. I just know I could. And so I teamed up with the funniest stand-up comedian in Key West, Florida, uh, primarily because he was the only stand-up comedian <laughs> in Key West, Florida. And I said, we, I, I need some help with this. Um, I'm going to write this stuff, and we're going to cast it and have a, a, a parody show of Key West, which was kind of easy. It was, um, I mean, the jokes just hit you in the face as you were walking down the street. It's a very funky little place. Hippies and the gay population and the drug smugglers and the, oh, it was wild. Um, An artist, everybody uh, that you can imagine. And, uh, and we put on this show and it was such a wild success that on the last night, we were only going to do it for three nights. Uh, there was a line of people to get in, and there were shoving matches. I was here first. I get a ticket and all that, and we finally walked out and said, hey, we're going to have another show. We'll keep doing shows as long as you guys keep coming. And uh, and that kind of was the trigger that I, I tell you, honestly, Sandra, the very first time that I had written something and I walked out on the stage and performed what I had written and rehearsed and got a huge laugh. It was like a narcotic to me. It was like, wow, what if, why did I waste all these years not doing this? Because I I felt like the fish that had finally found the water um, and, uh, and took off from there. Uh, This fellow, Jamie and I were a comedy team uh, for 30 years and uh, we kind of rose to the top of the heap in the comedy clubs, and we did all the television shows that comics could do. And um, and then after I <laughs> after it became obvious that uh, 
the world was not uh, going to be hiring aging comedy teams anymore. I, I set off on my own and uh, started doing solo comedy. And, uh, and I got into, I, I was actually at a, um, we were at a, at a corporate event and there was a, a humorous motivational speaker on the agenda and I had the time. So I went to that meeting and I watched him and I found him neither humorous nor motivational. <laughs> and I knew that he was, I, I knew that he was making a heck of a lot more money than I was doing this. And uh, that's when a little light bulb went off and I just started working on it. And I, I wrote a speech, um, as you said in my introduction, I've done some things and accomplished a few things and uh, overcome some obstacles, some scary obstacles, and uh, and I'm a comedy writer, so I, did, I just wrote, as, wrote it as funny and poignantly as I could, and I, I was in Los Angeles at the time, and I started going, uh, lining up Kiwanis and Lions and all these service, rotary clubs, service clubs. Uh, that are always looking for speakers, and uh, of course they don't pay. But I was just working on my craft, and I did. I kept good records, and I did 28 of those speeches at these places before I finally got an offer to uh, get paid at a little uh, at a meeting, a Christmas party, I think it was. But they wanted a motivational speaker. Uh, to some gosh, what it was they they did something to put glaze on uh, industrial parts or something romantic like that, and uh, and I did very well, and I just kept chugging, and I started getting paid better and getting better events and bookings, uh, and I just threw myself into it. I just loved it, and um, I have continued. To, that's been almost twenty years now um and i talk about my my journeys you know i was uh i was di i had a bad diagnosis as a fairly young man and got the bad news you know mr dryden you have cancer and i got my breath back and uh said okay doc what are we going to do about it and he said you're going to go into surgery and you're going to lose a testicle you're going to undergo 17 weeks of radiation treatments and pray to god that we, and i said whoa hold on let's go back to step one there <laughs> let's not rush into this i'm going to lose what because you know sandro you just get more personally attached to some organs than others you know <laughs> Um, I, I'm sure you don't know what your spleen feels like either. Well, I don't, I've, <laughs> I have never scratched it for sure. So, um, and, uh, I knew even back then about the, the healing power of laughter. And, uh, and in fact, recently I have, um, uh, my, my whole attitude toward what I do has changed because I, you know, I've known about for a long time the, uh, the, the benefits of laughter, the physical healthful benefits, uh, you know, lowers your blood pressure, level of stress hormones, boosts your immune system, all that. Well, well, just not too long ago, but a couple of years ago, I guess it was, I read an article where it said that laughter actually releases cancer-killing agents into your system. 
and a, a light bulb went off big time, uh, more like fireworks, because, you know, since so many cancers start with a single little mutated monster cell, I could probably zap a bunch of them if I made enough people laugh until tears run down their legs. Uh, we, uh, you know, I could be slaughtering thousands of these evil little things before they can grow up and do horrible things to innocent people. So, um, I was at a com. I do a lot of uh, cancer survival celebrations for obvious reasons, and uh, and I was talking about this, and I said that I'm a. I explained that, and I said, "So I'm a cancer killing comedy commando," <laughs> and said it kind of tongue in cheek, and it got a laugh. And so afterward, I was talking to one of the oncologists who was in attendance. And I said, you know, is there a, a little bit of truth in what I said? Because, or am I just wildly exaggerating my powers to do this? And she said, no, no, that's no exaggeration. It's a biochemical fact. And she said, considering how long and hard you made me laugh today and how many people you hear who hear you every year, I'd say it's a statistical certainty that you kill a ton of cancer cells every year and inhibit the growth of a lot more. And that's pretty big stuff there, I think. I, I'm possibly saving lives yeah. doing what I'm doing. Um, so I'm not just a comedian anymore. <laughs> I am a well, cancer killing comedy you, commander. You are, and you do it brilliantly, if I may say. You use the words funny and poignant. And uh, I remember working with you, Matt, because you'll recall that uh, I was charged with the responsibility of putting on a very big event in the US. And uh, you were one of our speakers, and you went down an absolute storm because, unlike so many funny people, you have a really important and very powerful message. So um, that's, that's the reason I can attest to the fact you are fantastic at what you do uh, I have to ask you as well <laughs> tell us tell us about the African prison well okay <laughs> one of my other interests uh, in college was karate I, I took karate and I got I was a very I was a very small uh, guy when I got out of graduated high school so I couldn't play the major sports with the big guys. I was really a runt. And then I got to college and I, I went to a karate tournament there on campus. And it changed my life because I saw this incredible discipline that was created by little guys, you know. Mm. And uh, the things that they were doing was just amazing. So I got passionate about it and I earned a black belt and I competed all over the country and won a lot of tournaments and stuff. So that's the setup because uh, I was in with totally unrelatedly, I was in, I was traveling by myself in Europe right out of uh, grad school and, uh, and I was making my living however I could. And then I figured out a way to, uh, to keep food in the belly and gas in my tank. I had a van. Um, I went down to Morocco, and uh, which is a very, very poor third world country, and I had a little money to spend. So, um, you know, I, I had to be very, very careful all the time. 
and uh, we'd go into the marketplaces, the souks, and buy mostly gulamine beads. These African trade beads were all the all the rage at the time, and uh, I, I bought leather in Spain, and I would go to the campgrounds and make my little hippie jewelry, and sure enough, a little hippie showed up and bought it, and I made enough money to go back down to Morocco for my more inventory, and on my third trip down, um, I was going through the souk there, and a fella stepped out of an alley, and uh, he he looked like he was up to no good to me, and he said there was some stuff in the alley, some merchandise I just had to see, and I s- said, no, thank you, and I tried to walk away, and he got in front of me. And anyway, I tried several things, and he wouldn't let go, let me go, and finally he grabbed me and by, by the arm, and that's when I kind of snapped and lost my temper and I put him on the ground and didn't hurt him but then he jumped up and he charged me and then we do things we're not proud of of course and I'm not proud of it but I hit him for quite a while actually he was uh, very he was very stubborn and would not drift off to a na- to nap like I intended for him to do and it got ugly and bloody and nasty and three uh, soldiers with guns marched me off to jail and um, and it, it it was well you can imagine it was not pleasant. I had plenty of time to uh, count, and there were actually twenty six men in the single cell, um, and you can imagine just how witty and sophisticated and charming this group was. Um, oh yeah, we stay in touch. They're just uh, but uh, I. I had to have, some, uh, well, that night I had to nearly get naked to prove I didn't have any cigarettes on me. And <laughs> even if you've never spent a single night in jail, you know that's just not a good idea. Uh, particularly if you're a fair-haired exotic like I was. I, I was very conspicuous. And uh, then the next day they told us, after giving us a tutorial on how to um, – put our own leg irons on and clip them to the guy in front of us. Uh, They said we were going to go to the national prison the next day. And uh, here I am. I'm 23. I'm in a foreign country that, you know, is run by a king. Nobody knows where I am. I was terrified, just absolutely terrified. And I had to do something to get some respect. Uh, didn't want to fight anybody. That had not worked out well the first time. So um, I went into the restroom early the next day, and I warmed up really quickly, uh, stretched and all that. And when I sensed somebody was in the in the doorway, I went into this blood-curdling, lethal-looking, deadly kata and jumped and twirled and kicked and gouged and all that. All those things I could do before I was a gray belt. I've, I've earned my gray belt, Sandra. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, it, it impressed the two guys who were, sitting, who were standing there watching me, and they ran in back into the cell and just exaggerated what they had seen and told these guys I could fly and put my fist through this wall if I wanted to and all that stuff. So I had the reputation of being uh, kind of a wildly insane wildcat or something. So (laughs) that worked very well. Um, 
And people gave me uh, – the word got out very quickly when we were processed into the national prison of Morocco. Um, and, you know, I can't say I didn't have any trouble uh, in that awful place, but I think taking that bold action that I did uh, might have saved me uh, – might have saved my life. I'm not sure. It was uh, It was a very – very nasty place um, with some bad people in it, mm. but uh, but they pretty much left me alone. I'm I'm chuckling to myself, Matt, because having seen you on stage, I'm the, the obvious question is: Is that how you learnt to put your head between your legs? Because I don't <laughs> I don't know how old you are, but uh, you're a man of more mature years. Let's say that, and you have an incredible ability, literally, to put your head between your knees, don't you? Uh, yeah, I can bend straight over and touch my nose to my knees, and uh, so I'm bent double like that. In fact, Sandro, since you uh, saw me, I, I added another move to my <laughs> repertoire. Uh, I basically do a, a, almost a flat-out split and put my – I can't uh, – I'd have to show you what I do, but anyway um, – and and – tap my head on the floor right next to my left knee and uh and what and I'll, I'll i'll happily tell you how old i am uh because for the last couple of months when i've spoken i said now i'm going to tell you how old i am in a way no one my age has ever told you before and so I then say I turned 70 in June and I go bam, bam, bam and hit my head on the floor and I get great applause. So well, that is uh, 70. Well, kudos to you, because uh, I, and I know that um, that has come about not because you are, uh, you, you know, physically um, predisposed to be able to do all these crazy things. But that's just a basic discipline, isn't it? It's an exercise regime that has kept you really supple. And the reason I ask you about it, Mac, in all seriousness, is that that discipline, which I guess is an analogy for lots of things in life and business, it's just a, a, you know, a, a repeated process over time, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, it is probably... Uh, the single most powerful little part of my philosophy of goal achieving, and that is daily incremental progress. And a, and this this one, uh, this particular one, I got closer to my goals every day, being able to do these things um, in microscopic microscopic little increments uh, literally you know millimeters the the width of a hair i might get closer to my nose to my knee that day mm-hmm. <laughs> um but but you can do it i mean no absolutely i am no uh, special specimen at all i'm just uh I'm physically i'm just a regular guy but um i did there was one Stretch that we call the rubber band, where I put my thigh all the way to the floor, uh, that I I continued to do throughout my adult life, and it impressed people in my early speeches. And then I thought, well, that's just one thing; that's not very impressive. And that's when I started going for those other things that I can do now. Um, and you know, I was in my fifties when I started that, so 
it's never too late mm. um, for just about anything. You, I, I've, I'm trying to uh, convince people not to use their age to prevent them from starting a quest for one thing and and that's just a demonstration of of how you can get there well that leads me beautifully to my next question which is you know you you stand in front of and entertain audiences all around the world mac and you know for the large part many people sitting in those audiences are seeking to transition from a place in life or business to another place so apart from the kind of little incremental steps that you talk about which have led you to have the most flexible body i think i've ever seen outside of gymnastics uh what <laughs> What advice would you give to people who are perhaps in a state of inertia, who don't really know what direction they're Maybe they do know what direction they want to go in. They just lack the desire, the motivation to start that process. Boy, that's a tough one because it's, it's, um, it is very hard to, to get motivated uh, if you don't have someone right in front of you making you do it. All I can say is that for me, I knew, for example, when I was a newspaper reporter, um, you know, there would be bursts of excitement and then months of boredom. And I just didn't want to live like that. I just finally made up my mind. I said, uh, basically, if I just pick up and go to Key West and try to find myself in a creative path that I want to do, uh, no matter what happens, I'm not going to starve to death. This is not going to kill me. Hopefully, that's not going to leave any terrible scarring. I'm going to survive this. Mm-hmm. And this is what I want. And so I am going to just lower my head and pull forward and work as hard as I can to get to the place in my life where I am, I'm fulfilled and I, I'm enjoying it. And, uh, I can't tell anybody else how to get that courage except to remind them that every day is a blessing and tomorrow is not guaranteed. Mm. I found that out very early in life and it really pushes me forward saying, you know, this is this is my one life that I've got to to really experiment and have fun and adventures and do things that I want to do. I'd better start now, right now. Now is always the best time to start. Don't put it off. Yeah, well said. And how do we how do we find out about Mac Dryden? Just give us a pointer in respect of social media, your website, because you are a guy for all those tens of thousands of people listening out there. You are a guy that needs to be checked out because, you know, what you do is extraordinarily funny with that amazing message that sits behind it. So just to help people find Mac Dryden, because there's a few of you on Skype, we've we've already explained explore that one um how do we find you mac it's very simple everything you want to know about me is on my website which is just my name m-a-c-k-d-r-y-d-e-n and uh you know macdryden.com um and uh there's a way to contact me as well and i'm always happy to hear from anyone who has a, a question so um I'm, my door is open. Please, please drop me a line. You are you are very you are a very kind-hearted uh, and very successful in all that you do, man. And I'm I'm grateful to have you as a friend. And I'm sure our paths are going to cross again quite soon. Aspirationally, what's next for the seventy-year-old Mac Dryden who who uh, dances around like a twenty-year-old? 
what's next for me? Yeah, I mean, do you, uh, you have any goals? I mean, are you are you happy doing what you do? Is there is there something on the horizon that we we can get the scoop on, or are you just doing your thing and enjoying life? Well, I am doing that and enjoying life, and uh, at, at the at the risk of sounding like a wacko. Um, this is actually happening right now, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you in on it. Um, I've, I've always been in, interested in visual arts as well, and uh, when I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, there is a dam here, and it so happens that it fills up with driftwood coming down the Ohio River, and I walked out there the first time and saw these finished sculptures all over the place, and I was just enamored of them and I started making things out of them and I uh, started selling things in New York and in Santa Fe and in uh, Dallas and San Francisco and I started being known locally as the driftwood guy. This of course is a hobby, a sideline and now I am putting my installations in restaurants and bars around here and I have two that I'm working on right now and it's just such a wonderful release because I still love getting on an airplane and going somewhere and making people laugh um, until they hurt and then coming home and uh, going into my garage and making sawdust Wow! or going to uh, the riverbank and finding stuff. It's uh, wonderful things. I'm, I, I love to get out in nature. I'm a nature boy. Uh, and just uh, discovering things down on the shore of the river is just is just wonderful therapy for me. And uh, when people have, uh, many people have retired at my age, I feel like I've got kind of a new career and I'm still enjoying my old career. Wow. I love, these, I love these podcasts because even the people I thought I knew quite well, I find out something new about every time I speak to them. So very finally, Matt, because I can't believe our time is up and I'm devastated because I'd love to go on chatting to you. But the final question is this, and it kind of encapsulates everything that we've been talking about. Um, if you were having a conversation with a younger version of Mac Dryden, knowing all that life has taught you to date, you know, overcoming the adversity you faced and um, the, the different career paths down which you've gone and those, those amazing experiences, what one single brief bit of advice would you give to that young boy looking up at his father saying okay dad you know give me a pointer and send me in the right direction i would say to me have no fear there is you want to do things and there are fears of failure of embarrassment of humiliation uh that are holding you back uh from doing those things forget that this is your chance. You can do it. Uh, and these fears are mostly made up. Just go for it. You know what you want to do. Uh, maybe not exactly if you're a young man, but you know what direction you want to go in. So have no fear and go for it. Brilliantly, brilliantly said. Well, that was the Sandro Forte podcast with Mac Dryden. Mac, thank you so much for joining us. It really has been a pleasure. Thank you, Sandro. Really, really a pleasure to talk to you anytime. I miss you. Oh, me too. I'm sure our paths will cross very soon, my friend. What an, what an incredible sure. perspective of life. Poignant, funny too. Remember, if you want to hear more from amazing guests like Mac Dryden, please make sure you subscribe. Uh, usual channel, Sandro's podcast. That's with an S. 
Do remember that, please. And remember to keep the iTunes reviews coming. So until next week and another brilliant guest, bye for now. 